Before we get started with today's podcast, do me a favor, follow me on any social media platform of your choosing, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok, at FFVulture on all platforms. We're going to get some exclusive content. We can interact one-on-one, and I'm really excited for what my social media plan is for the year. You don't want to miss it. And we are live. You already know who it is. My name is Mike Kyle, a.k.a. The Fantasy Vulture. I have over a decade worth of fantasy football experience and I've continuously competed for fantasy championships over the course of the past seven seasons. Let's make it eight in 2021. But enough of me. I'm here for you on today's episode of the FV Show podcast exclusive. We are going to be covering the NFC South, breaking down my team, the Carolina Panthers, the New Orleans Saints, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Atlanta Falcons. So if you are excited for this podcast, be sure to stick around because this is probably my favorite division. And I'm not just talking about it because my Panthers are in it, but this division is loaded with fantasy firepower, and I can't wait to discuss it with you. As always, leave a review on the podcast down below. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it really does help out quite a bit. And if you're listening on another platform, just share the podcast with one other person in your fantasy leagues. Actually, share it with one other person not in your fantasy leagues. I understand you want to keep the information that you have here close to the chest and use it as your ace up the sleeve. That's fine. But without further ado, let's dive in to the Carolina Panthers. And guess who's back? Back again. CMC's back. Tell a friend. Christian McCaffrey's back, fully healthy, locked in for me as my running back one, and he should be locked in for your running back one as well. There's no reason to panic about Christian McCaffrey. He is great. He had one injury-ridden season, and to be honest with you, he probably could have played through it last year, Uh, but the fact of the matter was the Panthers didn't have much of a didn't have much of an outlook at all, and so there was no reason to run that risk. Have him back, fully healthy this year. Locked in, ready to go, CMC, RB1, pick 101 for your drafts. Don't overthink that one. However, I want to talk about the wide receiver core here in Carolina because I love it. I'm so excited for this season because of this trio at the wide receiver position. So what we know that what happened last year with Teddy Bridgewater is there was a pretty hard cap in the upside for DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Curtis Samuel because of the lack of touchdowns that Teddy Bridgewater was producing. But if you actually look at what Bridgewater did, there were four players on this Carolina Panthers offensive fantasy options, we'll call them, that had over 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Mike Davis, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Curtis Samuel. It's like the fourth time in NFL history that that's happened, and that group had the lowest touchdown total by a significant margin compared to the other three, compared to the other quadruplets that came before them, as we'll call it. Now, Carolina makes a very risky play by bringing in Sam Darnold from the Jets offseason. I was one of the fans that was banging the drum for Justin Fields. Unfortunately, that felt like it was pretty much ruled out as soon as the trade for Darnold happened. But what's going to happen this season is we're about to learn a lot about Sam Darnold. And I'm somebody who has been historically high on Darnold. I just think that the circumstances that were set up for him in New York were an absolute disaster. It was a clusterfuck. And it was not something that I think should define him right now. Right. So three years in the league already. And he had Adam Gates as his head coach. 
and zero supporting cast and also didn't have an offensive line. So you tell me how a quarterback that was taken number two overall, drafted to a bad team, is supposed to be successful. Answer, he's not. So with that being said, for the first time in Sam Darnold's career, he has a cast of weapons that have the potential to be one of the best in the NFL, top to bottom. He also has a coaching staff that supports him, and he has Joe Brady, one of the best young offensive minds in football, college, or NFL. Pretty good start. We're about to find out just how good Sam Darnold actually is, and if all that Jet stuff was a fucking fluke, because I'm willing to bet that it was, or at least at the minimum, he's going to be what Teddy Bridgewater was last year. And Bridgewater was fine. You were able to stream him some weeks. He wasn't a guy who you wanted to start week to week. But we know what Bridgewater produced for the fantasy options. And that was not high touchdown totals, but the yardage and the receptions made up for it. Like you're going through this right now. I mean, Robbie Anderson had 136 targets. DJ Moore had 118 targets. Uh, they also had 95 and 66 receptions apiece. DJ Moore's receptions numbers were just low, uh, inexplicably. Like, those numbers should be higher. We know the talent that DJ Moore is. Um, with Mike Davis, I mean, come on now. Mike Davis had, how many receptions did Davis have? Let me pull this up. I mean, Mike Davis had 70 targets and 59 receptions. And that's not even considering uh, Curtis Samuel, who last season, let me jump over to, to my Washington tab. Curtis Samuel had 97 targets and 77 receptions. So all that being said, there is so much potential here for this Carolina Panthers offense to finally get into the end zone. The yard is just still going to be there. And I love drafting any of these wide receivers. Terrace Marshall, rookie wide receiver from LSU, who I haven't even spoken about until now. He's going super late in drafts. This guy is an athletic freak, an athletic machine, and an incredible upgrade from Curtis Samuel. Uh, as that third wide receiver. Curtis Samuel is really good, but in terms of just pure skill set, Terrace Marshall has the ability to be a fucking force in this league. They used a second round pick on him. I'm really high on Marshall this season. But when you look at where you're getting DJ Moore and where you're getting Robbie Anderson, you're getting these guys at the point in drafts where I'm hammering wide receiver. Some of the conversations that I've been having pretty extensively have been, are you comfortable with DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson as your wide receiver one? I would say more. I like more more than Anderson. Um, yes, there is the jet connection between Robbie Anderson and Sam Darnold, which also helps Robbie Anderson's case. But if DJ Moore, I think personally, is going to be used in the slot more. If they put more in the slot, you're going to look at Jamison Crowder 2.0. And that's terrifying because we all know the PPR machine that Jamison Crowder was. Whoever ends up in the slot, whether it's going to be Marshall or it's going to be DJ Moore, they're going to be incredible, I think, for fantasy this year. And that's one of the other reasons why I'm pretty high on Marshall, just because I think that there's a pretty decent chance that he ends up there. Um, but when you pull up ADP right now, DJ Moore's current ADP, where did that go? DJ Moore. Whoops. So DJ Moore's current ADP is wide receiver 24 going in the sixth round. And right around like that sixth, seventh round territory is where I'm really hammering wide receiver, like I said. And DJ Moore is my wide receiver one. And maybe on the way back, you get a guy like T. Higgins, Cortland Sutton, Chase Claypool, Jamar Chase, one of those guys, like just to compliment, like 
that is such a great one-two, and you're already loaded up at running back. You're loaded up at tight end or quarterback early, and I feel really confident about DJ Moore as well, wide receiver one, if that's the case, and you just kind of go on that 6-7 turn or the 7-8 turn uh, more and another wide receiver. Robbie Anderson in the eighth round feels like stealing. You're getting Robbie Anderson at wide receiver 36 or 35, excuse me. Last year, he was wide receiver 24 in PPR leagues. And you're getting that wide receiver 35. Again, the jet connection with Sam Darnold. Another year in this offense with head coach Matt Rule and Joe Brady. I mean, he already had 136 targets last year. My friend Dylan sent me his draft. Um, after he completed it, it was 12-man PPR. I think it was full point. I could be mistaken. But basically what he did was he started off with four straight running backs. He did Zeke. He did Gibson. Dobbins, and I forget the last one. Let's just call it Montgomery. I can't remember the last one off the top of my head. But then his wide receivers were Brandon Ayuk and Robbie Anderson. And that is how I know that somebody is taking in the content. Because if you send me a mock draft like that, and those are your wide receivers and those are your running backs, that is textbook fantasy vulture strategy. Because it just works. And we were just kind of talking, and it's like, listen, Brian Ayuk's going to have 120 targets. Robbie Anderson's going to get 120 targets. And you're looking at these guys in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. And that's just a great start because it gives you the flexibility to really wait on the position and hammer out other ones of needs because, as we say, wide receivers grow on trees. Let's move over to the next team that I want to talk about here in the, a in the NFC South, and that is the New Orleans Saints who have a bit of a quarterback controversy here between Jamison Win Jamison Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. My personal preference here for fantasy purposes, I want Taysom Hill to be the starter. And that sounds insane, but just to tell you just how much I believe in this, not only do I own Taysom Hill in Dynasty, I also drafted him in an auction draft as well. I waited on the position and Taysom Hill was my quarterback that I wanted. Here's why. Taysom Hill started three games last year in the Saints offense after everybody was clamoring for Jameis Winston to step in once Drew Brees went out with the injury. In those games, Taysom Hill averaged 21 points per game. He was efficient on the ground and I think showed a better arm than we were anticipating. Obviously, he's been known as like this gadget guy and maybe just chucks the ball downfield and hits on a big play. But what we saw from Taysom Hill last year gave me enough confidence to believe, hey, if he gets the opportunity to be to be a starting quarterback in this league, he's going to be viable. He's going to be viable for fantasy because he has the tools to succeed on an offense like this and a Sean Payton system. He's obviously Sean Payton's golden child as well, so that plays a factor in it. That's not to say that Jameis would be bad. I just don't think that Jameis has the weapons here to succeed like he once did airing the ball out downfield for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where you have Chris Goblins and Mike Evans just running side by side up with another Mike Evans and Vincent Jackson. You just kind of go down the list there, right? This team doesn't have that. This team is desperate for another playmaker, and it's the reason why I like Taysom Hill over Winston. I'm not going to spend any time talking about Alan Kamara. You should draft him. He's great. He is a consistent machine. The only downside with Kamara every single year is that he doesn't get the rushing 
carries that you would like to see from your number one running back, but he definitely makes up for that in the passing game. And one of the things that we know, a reception is worth more than a rush. You're fine with Kamara taking him. Um, I would take him no earlier. I mean, if it's full point, different story. Um, but I'm pretty much taking Kamara right around that four or five spot in the first round. Let's talk receivers. Michael Thomas is injured. We know the disaster that happened with him last year, right? Didn't get in the end zone. Um, was hurt. 55 targets, 40 receptions, 438 yards. Had two weeks as a wide receiver. I'm sorry, three weeks as a wide receiver too. Did not finish inside the top 12 at all last year. Was absolutely abysmal, right? Bust of the year, we would call it. So this season, he has a conflict with the medical staff in New Orleans, and he opts to wait for surgery. The injury gets worse, and he decides on his own, oh, shit, I actually need to get this surgery now. So he's now out for quite a bit. We're looking like maybe an October return, give or take, late September at the absolute earliest, which means you're not getting Michael Thomas for at least the first four weeks now. His ADP is down to, I believe it's the fifth round, Wide receiver 18 at 5.03. I was hoping it would drop later than that. So far, it hasn't. The reason why is because I'm looking at Michael Thomas, and if I can get Michael Thomas in the sixth round, I'm fine with that because I know the value in the seventh and eighth that I can grab at wide receiver, and I would be perfectly okay with that. But when you're in that fifth round, you're looking to go another running back, you're looking to pick up a quarterback or maybe a tight end that falls. And I would rather have one of those guys than Michael Thomas, who would be sitting on my bench um, for the first four weeks minimum. And even if he comes back, there's no guarantee that he's going to be fully healthy. Ankle injuries like that always tend to worry me. There are injuries that reappear quite often. And just getting him in that fifth round just isn't appealing to me. Again, like I was saying, I was hoping that it would fall just a bit. One of the things that I was theorizing when the injury and the surgery first happened was that if you waited and Michael Thomas was your third wide receiver that you were able to draft, that is so interesting to me. So for example here, Michael Thomas at 503, if you really wanted to play it, and let's say you went running back, running back, running back, running back, and then you're looking to just go wide receivers, you would have Michael Thomas, and then in the sixth round, you can even grab Brandon Ayuk. And then in the seventh, you can go Cortland Sutton. That's interesting. Admittedly, admittedly, that's interesting because Sutton and Ayuk can hold down the fort until Michael Thomas returns. So maybe I don't hate spending that fifth round pick on him. But you just got to have a plan to where if that is the case, you need to hammer wide receivers to the point where you're not going to miss a beat for the first month of the season until Michael Thomas comes back and then he takes over as your wide receiver one. So that is interesting. You're getting Michael Thomas at an absolute value this year. Before the injury, I actually had Michael Thomas ranked, I believe as my number seven wide receiver. I had Michael Thomas as my number eight wide receiver on the year, coming into the year before the injury uh, surfaced. So that's where I'm at right now on Michael Thomas. I know there's a lot of buzz around Marquez Callaway and Traquan Smith. To be honest with you, I'm not overly thrilled about either, especially because they are kind of on this timer with Michael Thomas being out. As soon as Thomas comes back, he's going to command the target share like he has for, his for the entirety of his career. 
if I had to pick one, I'm personally going to go with Traquan Smith. I know there's been a lot of buzz around Marquez Callaway, but just give me the guy who's done it at least somewhat recently, and neither of these guys have done it consistently, which is why they're going so late in drafts. You're going to get them at a value at least for the first four weeks, and then maybe you flip them off of that, or maybe they break out week one and you flip them off of that, off of that single-game performance. I'm not entirely sure. I just know that the pass catcher I would most have on the New Orleans Saints is Adam Troutman, second-year tight end out of Dayton last year. He had 15 targets and 14 receptions. Very limited sample size, but with Jared Cook out of there, a new, a new fresh—I don't even know what you call it—like a new, like fresh air injected into the Saints right now. Between either, whether it's Taysom or whether it's Jameis or whether it's Jameis Winston. These two quarterbacks have shown the tendency to throw the tight end position. Like some of Troutman's best games last year came when Taysom Hill was at the quarterback, and we know Jameis Winston's history with the tight end position as well. So with no Michael Thomas, no Jared Cook, and just very limited wide receiver depth in general, someone's going to have to step up. Alvin Kamara, we know the threat that he's going to be out of the backfield, and it's really going to be on Troutman. Like he has the perfect opportunity to come in and break out. He's going pretty late in drafts, all things considered, too, which I like. Um, he's not going to cost you a whole lot. You're not spending up on like a ninth round pick for him either. Um, his ADP is currently in the 13th round at tight end 16, and I love that value. Like Tyler Higby's going ahead of him, Jonu Smith's going ahead of him, Irv Smith Jr.'s going ahead of him. And that's really great value for a guy that we think has all the potential in the world, steps into an offense that desperately needs someone to step up, and he has the talent to do so. We really just didn't get to see it on a full scale last season. Let's jump to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next. And this team is really simple. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on them, to be honest, because this, it really falls in line with where we were at on them last year. And that's give me any Tampa Bay wide receiver. I'm fine with any of them. If it's Antonio Brown, if it's Chris Godwin, if it's Mike Evans, I don't care. This offense is going to hang points on the board. Tom Brady has shown no signs of slowing down. I want all of them because it's the best off. It's one. It's the second best offense in the league behind Kansas City. But honestly, you might be able to make the argument that Tampa Bay has the best offense because when you're looking at Kansas City, right? We know it's Tyreek, we know it's Travis Kelsey, and we know it's Clyde out of the backfield. But that's it. When you look at this Tampa Bay Bucks offense, it is three wide receivers and it's a running back. So, judging off of that. You really got more of a talent pool over there in Tampa than you do Kansas City. So maybe I am willing to say that Tampa has the best offense. The only other one I can really consider looking at this right now would be Dallas. In some combination, it is ten, in some combination, it's Kansas City, Dallas, and Tampa as my three favorite offenses for fantasy this season. I want to talk about Antonio Brown, though. He's the one that I want to spend the most time talking about. I don't. Again, Godwin, Evans, take them. They're going to get in the end zone. Evans more than Godwin, but Godwin's going to have the PPR value, I think. Antonio Brown, in any format that you play, is a fucking steal. It's actually disgusting. His current ADP is 809, wide receiver 37. Can I just let you know what Antonio Brown did in eight games last year? In eight games last year, he had 483 yards, got in the end zone four times, 
finished five times inside the top 36. And in those five games, two of them, he had wide receiver one finishes. He averaged 11.8 points per game, 62 targets, 45 receptions, and he's adjusted score, which is where if you basically just take the averages, you pace him out for a full 16, 17 games, basically just removing injury, suspension, any other happen circumstances that would skew somebody's fantasy finish, he now finishes at wide receiver 26. And again, he is currently being drafted at wide receiver 37. I am targeting Antonio Brown in every single fucking lead. It's not even funny. I want him everywhere. You tell me that my fourth or third wide receiver is Antonio fucking Brown. That, that is a joy. That is Christmas is literally happening in August. I can't believe what is actually happening with Antonio Brown right now. There was no signs last year of him slowing down. Not one. And now you get him another year in this offense again with Evans and Godwin on the field with him as well. Who are you going to cover? How are you supposed to cover this team? Yes, there's going to be some variance in production, I think, just because one week it might be Brown's week, one week it's going to be Godwin, one week it might be Mike Evans. But guess what? It's all going to balance out. Because if you're looking at how these guys finished, for example, Godwin, two games as a wide receiver one, five games as a wide receiver two, two games as a wide receiver three. He only played in 12 games. Evans, four, four, and two. Brown, two, zero, three. They are all finishing inside the top 36, worst case scenario, which means every single week you need to start somebody. Like, basically, if you have them, start them. That's what that translates to. There's just a level of consistency, especially with Brady's ability to spread the ball around and make sure that everybody's involved. I love Antonio Brown this year. I cannot stop gushing about him. In terms of the tight end position now, um, Gronk for me is just touchdown upside only. You're only going to play him if you're, you're, you're gambling for a touchdown, to be honest. Like, that's just what this comes down to. O.J. Howard, I'm not enthused about whatsoever. Just lack of chemistry with Brady. Um, how about O.J. Howard? Lack of consistency for his entire career. We can lead off with that as well. I don't really have any interest. But let's wrap up the Bucks here. We're talking about the running back, the running back backfield. Ronald Jones was so much better than people give him credit for last season. 14 games played, three times a top 12 running back, five times a top 24 running back, three times a top 36 running back. Now, I'm not so good at math, but that tells me in 11 of his 14 games, he was a top 36 running back. He was startable and he was fine for you. People don't talk about him that way. He also had almost 1,000 yards rushing and had 28 receptions for 165 yards and 8 touchdowns. The reason why we are blurred right now about Ronald Jones is because they were just games where we were burned. It was literally like the three games where Ronald Jones finished outside the top 36 that Leonard Fournette came in or they just pulled Ronald Jones because he fumbled and they just gave the game to Fournette. And that sucked. And that's always a possibility that Ronald Jones just find himself in the doghouse on a random week seven game versus New Orleans. And you're just done. You're, you've just wasted your starting running back spot. You let it on fire. But guess what? In this offense, anything is possible. And I mean that in the highest regard. 
So I love Ronald Jones. I also, I'm not down on Fournette. I would rather have Jones just because if you actually look at the numbers and how it all really played out, Leonard Fournette wasn't heavily involved until the playoff run. Now, what that means, because they won a fucking Super Bowl leading off with Fournette, I'm not sure. But I know that on this offense that's going to hang point, that's going to move the ball, I'm really cool with either of them. I don't love running back by committees. In fact, I actually hate them, and I would stay away from them if possible. But in an offense this good, you're going to be able to start these guys pretty consistently no matter what. Like even Fournette, who came on a bit later in the year, 13 games played in total across running back one, running back two, and running back three finishes. Of his 13 games played, seven of them were inside the top 36. So you don't love that, and he certainly wasn't getting the same level of opportunity that Ronald Jones was getting, but he still got in the end zone six times. Like, you're banking on a touchdown with Fournette, but again, if you're on this offense that's going to be dropping 35 a game, for God's sakes, you have a pretty good chance at a touchdown every single week. So I love Fournette as, like, that spot flex play during bye weeks. Maybe one of your running backs goes down, and you just need that plug-and-play plug guy to get you through the week. Fournette and Ronald Jones are great options for you if that is the case. And especially if you're getting them as your third or fourth running back, I love that. Now we prefer to load up on running back super early, but if you don't, these two guys are super suitable options and I'm a big fan of them this year. Not even so much of the fact that their opportunity is so great, but the offense that they're in elevates that opportunity to another level that normal running back by committees simply don't have. And lastly, our final team here is going to be the Atlanta Falcons. I need to just spend a few moments here to go on a rant, a pure rampage about one Russell Gage. We're not going to talk about Kyle Pitts. We're not going to talk about Calvin Ridley. We're not going to talk about Matt Ryan or Mike Davis right now. I'm going to spend the next two minutes talking to you about Russell Gage. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this podcast still, first off, thank you. But I'm about to give you the biggest fantasy tip I can for the season. And I'm not even being hyperbolic when I say that. I believe in this so much. It makes so much sense, and nobody's talking about it. Matt Ryan, since he has got in the league, has consistently supported two top 24 wide receivers. It was Roddy White and Julio Jones, and then Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Matt Ryan also throws, the, also throws the ball 700 times a year, for God's sakes. He averages 5,000 yards. The opportunity in this offense where the keys are thrown to Matt Ryan and this team as a whole says, we're going to go as far as you take us. And that's what happens every single year for the Atlanta Falcons. It is built upon their offense. So why the fuck? Are we not drafting Russell Gage where he should be drafted? Right now, I have Russell Gage, I shit you not, as my wide receiver 27. And to be honest with you, there is room for that to, to go higher. With the uncertainty of Devonta Smith's health right now and how he's able to kind of maintain at the NFL level, Michael Pittman Jr.'s nightmare scenario of a quarterback in, in, in Indy, um, Kenny Galladay's tweaked hamstring. Who knows if that's going to bounce back and that's going to be an issue. Russell Gage can easily find himself as a top 24 wide receiver this year. 
because every single goddamn year, Matt Ryan sustains two top top 30, two top 24 wide receivers, excuse me. Russell Gage's current ADP is 12.06, wide receiver 54. You're literally getting him for free in your drafts. Here's why this matters even more. You might think, why is Russell Gage going to be relevant? Well, again, Julio Jones was just kind of shipped out of town, and there's this big hole for a wide receiver two in Atlanta. Now, you're probably thinking still, but wait, it's Russell fucking Gage. And that's actually the point. Because did you know last year, Russell Gage, in six games, if I'm not mistaken it was, had 13-plus fantasy points as the number three wide receiver in Atlanta. Four of his last five games were above that 13-point threshold. And one of the things that we talk about in the fantasy industry is how a guy finish is very indicative on how a guy will perform the following season. The finish of the previous season is a key factor in their performance the next year. I would say ending off the year with four games above 13 points where you're getting targeted 12, 8, 9, 10, 11 times consistently is pretty indicative of how involved you're going to be going forward. And now you have literally this monstrous hole of 120, 130 targets just opened up to you in this offense. And I know what you're thinking. Kyle Pitts probably going to see some of that. I agree. I agree. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you there. But did you know that Hayden Hurst, yes, the, that Hayden Hurst, that everybody said was awful last season, and he was, had 99 targets. Or excuse me, excuse me, that, that's not even correct. He had 88 targets, excuse me, last year. How many targets do you think that Kyle Pitts is going to get this year? 110, which means Russell Gage, worst case scenario, 115 targets. Like, do you see the point here? Russell Gage is going to be involved. He's free in drafts in an offense that desperately needs a new wide receiver too and in an offense that literally throws the ball 700 times every single year. This is so obvious to me. In fact, I cannot believe that his ADP has not moved at all since the Julio Jones trade. Go get Russell Gage. I promise you, he is going to help you win your league. I have never been more certain about anything, I think, in my fantasy football career. I want him everywhere. I literally spent $5 in an auction league to get him because my friend sniped me, or snaked me and nominated him in like, the third, in like the third selection of the auction because he knew that I wanted him and I, he knew I was going to get him late and he, did, he didn't want that for me. So it's fine. Let's talk about somebody else. Let's talk about Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts' redraft ADP is so confusing, and it varies platform to platform. I've seen Pitts go in the 10th round. I've seen Pitts go in the 9th. I've seen him go in the 8th, the 7th, the 6th. The current ADP that I'm looking at has him at 408, and I haven't seen him go that high, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was going that early in your draft. For Kyle Pitts this year, he's somebody who I have raved about in Dynasty all offseason long. He was my number one player on my Dynasty board. If you missed that video, check it out on YouTube. I do an entire breakdown on how Kyle Pitts is going to destroy the position. But where you're getting Kyle Pitts, depending on your league, 
is going to be my reaction and how I feel about him this year. I'm not spending a fourth round pick. I'm not spending a fifth round pick. And I'm likely not spending a sixth round pick on Kyle Pitts. But when, it, but when he starts to slide into that 7-8-9 territory, I'm interested. And it's simply because of the fact that I kind of want to see it from a rookie tight end first. Yes, I'm a big believer, but in redraft, it's so much different than Dynasty. Whereas Dynasty, you know that you have them for the next decade. and redraft, you have them for a single season. So that's, that's kind of the distinction between the two that makes me hesitate more on pits in a redraft league. Whereas my foot's on the gas, like get me Kyle Pitts and Dynasty. That's not to say that he can't be great. I'm just trying to pump the brakes just a little bit, a little bit of a pit stop, if you would. And lastly, I want to talk about Mike Davis, who is seemingly the only running back in Atlanta right now. I don't know if they bring back Todd Gurley. I don't expect them to. But if Mike Davis maintains to be the only running back in this backfield, holy shit. Mike Davis last year, 15 games, five games as a running back one, one game as a running back two, six games as a running back three. He finished as, as running back 15 last year in PPR leagues, was incredible both on the ground and through the air. And that's really interesting in this offense. We saw what a depleted Todd Gurley did. And that was get in the end zone like a motherfucker for the first 10 weeks. And then he fell off a cliff. And Mike Davis, to a degree, also had a bit of a fall off last year. But Mike Davis can actually provide more than Todd can provide more to this offense this year than Todd Gurley did last year. Because last season, Mike Davis had 70 targets and 59 receptions as well. And that's the difference. It's not only are you getting the touchdown goal line potential of Mike Davis, you're also getting the receiving work as well. Mike Davis's current ADP right now is running back, let's make sure this is accurate, is running back 22 at 405. If you're looking for a running back in that fourth round territory, he's probably my favorite. Well, let me rephrase that. Henderson's up there, Davis, Gaskin, that's probably where my line is right now. But regardless, at that point, running backs are kind of going off the board because everybody realizes, oh shit, I need a running back. We've been targeting Mike Davis at that four spot, at that five spot, pretty much all offseason long. Because if this maintains the case where he is the guy in Atlanta, he is going to be the guy for Atlanta. This offense that I've just been raving about for not only this season, but last year as well. I'm very interested in Mike Davis if this backfield holds, holds still the way that it is. My big fear, though, is that they bring in somebody and this backfield just becomes a nightmare. That's the big concern with Mike Davis. It's like, is it too good to be true? And that's the question that you need to ask yourself when you're drafting him. I personally like the upside of Mike Davis a lot. I also like the upside of Miles Gaskin and Daryl Henderson. But it's the reasons like that where you don't, feel great drafting them why we go running back so early so you're not in a position where you feel like that you have to um that said you can make the argument for any of those three guys i just believe in the offense of the falcons and i know what that offense has to be for that team to be successful and mike davis absolutely plays a part in that for the 2021 fantasy football season but that's going to do it for this nfc south 
divisional preview. If you enjoyed, again, hit that subscribe button so you never miss a podcast. Hit, leave a review on Apple as well. It really does help out. Follow me on all social media platforms at FF Vulture. And thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this divisional breakdown. Remember, people come and go, but fantasy championships are forever. And I will see you in the next podcast. Where we're going to be talking about the NFC North. Stay tuned for that.